Hi everyone. Hello, hello. So yeah, I'm David, and um, I'm married to the beautiful Marietta, sitting over here. And um, you know, next month we'll be married 21 years. You know. Thank you. And uh, we have two beautiful daughters, uh, Abigail and Laura, ages eight and six. They're currently at Kids Church, no doubt causing mayhem of some kind. And um, I must tell you, I am, I am truly excited about the word I believe the Lord wants to bring today. But more than excitement, I am expectant. I have an expectation that he will come and do a work in our hearts, that he will, he will shift paradigms. He will help us to be better tuned in to him. So I hope you can be expectant with me. I recently read a story that I... Uh, about something that happened in, uh, in America during the Great Depression that I really enjoyed. And just to make sure we're all on the same page, you know, the Great Depression, as I called it, was a, was a worldwide severe economic depression that lasted for about 10 years, between 1929 and 1939. And it is said, or it is told, that during that time it was virtually impossible to find work. I mean, unparalleled unemployment. And, you know, when you read about it, one of the first things you read is they say that they would advertise for one job and hundreds of people would show up to be interviewed. So the story is about a man who, during the Great Depression, was looking for work. And, uh, you know, the one morning early he bought the newspaper, because that's what you did back, you know, in those days. There weren't any internet. You got your newspaper early, you checked what jobs were advertised, and he saw they were advertising for a telegraph operator. So a telegraph company was advertising for a telegraph operator. In other words, somebody that can send and receive or decode messages in Morse code. And he thought, that's it. That's for me. Because he was highly skilled. He was highly trained as a telegraph, tele telegraph operator. And he grabbed his, his, um, his jacket and he ran down to where they were doing the interviews. And when he got there, his heart sank. Because although he was early, there was a line waiting to be interviewed a couple of hundred strong. And he thought to himself, there's no ways I'm going to get this job. I mean, they're going to appoint somebody before they even get to me. I won't even be interviewed. And he just kind of stood there, um, not knowing what to do. And as he stood there, he heard a faint sound, a faint noise, coming from where they were doing the interviews. And he listened, and he recognized the sound. It was Morse code, the dot, dot, dash, dash of Morse code. And as he listened... He started to smile. And then after a few minutes, he, he literally stepped out of line and he walked into the, the office where they were doing the interviews. And a few minutes later, he came out and he told the guys, sorry guys, you can go home, I got the job. So you can imagine the mob ahead of him in the queue kind of going, how does this work? You know, it's unfair. Screaming and shouting at him, this is not fair, we were here before you, we've been standing in line longer than you. And he, re he replied saying, you're right. You have been here longer than me, but you've not been listening. While we were standing here in line waiting to be interviewed, they, the people running the interviews, have been broadcasting in Morse code. And the message was, if you can hear this and you understand, come inside, you've got the job. So he was just a normal guy standing in a line waiting to be interviewed, but he was tuned in. He was tuned in. And when we wait on God, the same principle applies. We have to be tuned in. 
You know, about a month and a half ago, our, or shall I say my fearless comm leader, he goes by the name Ed. <laughs> he, um, he, the one morning early, and if I, if I say early, I mean like quarter past five, half past five, he posted a, a scripture in our, on our comm WhatsApp group, and it's from Psalm 63, from verse one to six. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. So, you know, after, after I read this passage that morning, I got into the shower. Like I said, it was quite early. But I, I couldn't stop thinking about the passage. Because for me, that morning, it spoke of one thing, waiting on God. So as I was pondering in the shower... You know, uh, what it means to wait on God, washing my hair, washing my beard, you know, shampoo everywhere. I felt the Lord speak to me and he asked me a question. And the question he asked was this, what happens in the waiting? What happens in the waiting? Not why do people normally wait on me or what do they normally wait for? What happens in the waiting? I didn't quite know what to answer because, you know, I've always thought that when you wait, you, you wait, you know. But I figured he wouldn't ask the question unless it was really important. So I said, Lord, I will meditate on this. And, I, and then for the next few weeks, I, I googled, I searched every single scripture in the Bible that spoke of or references waiting on God. But I was nowhere closer to answering the question, what happens in the waiting? And then a couple of weeks ago, in worship, in the middle of worship, my thoughts suddenly turned to John 11. You know the passage where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead? You know? And, um, you know, I'm a visual person, so if I, if I tell you my, my thoughts turn somewhere, it's like, it's like watching a movie in my mind, you know? It's like watching a TV episode. And as I'm, as I'm standing in worship, I see the story of Lazarus playing off like a movie in my mind. And as I'm watching it, I felt the Lord speak to me, and he said, take the principle of waiting on me. Take the principle of waiting on God and apply it to this passage. In other words, read John 11 through the filter or the lens of what it means to wait on God. Can we do that today? Can we do that? Can we read John 11? We won't read the whole passage. It's, it's a bit long, but we'll read, we'll read portions. Can we do it? And can I ask you to keep in the back of your head the principle, the concept of waiting on God? So from John 11, from verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, while whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then from verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But now, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And then from verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came, in, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said, I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Before we get to what happens in the waiting, I first would like to share with you four types of waiting on God, or four kinds of waiting on God that we can identify from this passage. Are you okay? Are you ready? Okay, so four types of waiting on God. The first one, sometimes we wait on God, and the answer or the response comes quickly. John eleven three, we just read it. It says, so the sister sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill, but when Jesus heard it, when he heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Sometimes we wait on God. And the, the answer, the response, the deliverance comes relatively quickly. Now, Martha and Mary might not have been present to hear him say, this illness does not lead to death. But the principle still holds true. There's so many examples in the Bible. I'll just quickly give you two from Psalms. In Psalm 3, David says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. In Psalm 34, David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, although the answer or the response or the deliverance comes quickly with this type of waiting, we still need to wait on him. We still need to seek him. We still need to call to him. We still need to cry out to him. We still need to look for him. We still need to send word to him like Martha and Mary. This type of waiting, where the answer or the response comes quick, this is the type of waiting that most people hope for when we, when we wait on God. Secondly, sometimes we wait on God and something we hold dear has to die. 
Sometimes we wait on God and something we all dear is to die or something we all dear is to be laid down. You know, in John eleven twenty one, we just read it. Martha comes to Jesus when he, when he finally arrives and her first words to him was, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 11 verses later, Mary falls at his feet and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha and Mary were waiting on Jesus for their brother Lazarus, whom they loved dearly, and Lazarus still died. Sometimes we wait on God, and something we hold dear has to die. Something we hold dear has to be laid down, and it can be one of a million things. Maybe, maybe you're on the worship team, and it becomes so important to you that it becomes an idol in your heart, and the Lord says, that no longer glorifies me. Lay it down. Maybe you're in a relationship, you're dating somebody, and the Lord says, this is not from me. Lay it down. Let it die. Maybe you get a job offer. You know, that offer that will solve everything. And the Lord says, this is actually not from me. Lay it down. You know, when I was a, when I was a young man, when I was a younger man, um, I, uh, I played bass guitar in a heavy metal band. And I'd, I'd head down to here with a, with a number one undercut. There you go. Just to, just to show, never, never judge a beard by its cover, you know? Um, so, you know, a number one undercut, they went all the way around. So that when you tie a ponytail, you know, it's like short, and it, I guess it looked mean, you know, or whatever. And uh, piercings everywhere. I just, I just wore black um, metal boots. Um, oh, and something called tapered jeans. Now, the young adults, you guys might find this interesting. Back then, I'm talking about the early to mid-90s, you couldn't buy stretch jeans for guys. You couldn't buy skinny jeans for guys. It just wasn't available. But if you played in a heavy metal band, you wanted a tight-fitting jean. Don't ask me why. So what you would do is you would take one of your normal jeans and ask your mum to taper it for you. And, you. and your mum would say, heck no, because she bought it and she knows that that thing wasn't meant to stretch. You know, it's so then you would rely on a sympathetic mum of a friend, right, to taper it for you. And once that thing is tapered, getting into it was a challenge. <laughs> getting out of it was a virtual impossibility. Wearing it was downright painful. <laughs> Don't ask me why it was. It just, just trust me, it was. And um, this, is, this is how I looked when I met Marietta 27 years ago. But you know, clearly the, the metal rebel look you know, worked. Thank you, you, you can take it down. Um, the band was dear to me. It was precious to me. I, uh, I invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of focus, a lot of money into it. I had plans. I had plans. And then the one day the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to lay it down. This is not what I want for you long term. I know you love it. I know you enjoy it. I know you have plans. I have other plans. Lay it down. Let it die. I... I couldn't believe he would ask me to lay it down because we were actually doing it for him. We were four Christians in a band that looked apart, listened to the music, uh, uh, you know, and went and played in clubs that, you know, people that, people that look, look like me and you never get into. And when we got on stage, we preached Christ and him crucified. So I thought, there's no ways he would ask me to lay this down. So I, I, you know, I had this get behind me Satan attitude. 
And I ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I did. And then not long after, somebody I trusted and respected, I knew heard the voice of the Lord, came to me and said, David, I believe the Lord spoke to me about your role in the band. And the Lord told me to tell you, stop. Your time has ended. But even more so, I believe the Lord has already spoken to you. You now need to obey. Ish. Sometimes we wait on God and something we all dear has to die. Something we all dear has to be laid down. Thirdly, sometimes we wait on God and we have to die. In John eleven seventeen, it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus was also waiting on Jesus. It, was, it wasn't just Martha and Mary. Lazarus was also waiting on Jesus. In fact, he was the one who desperately needed Jesus. And Lazarus still died. You know, in Luke 9, 23, Jesus says the following. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Our purpose, right? Our purpose is to become more and more like Jesus every day. How does it happen? Well, John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. So, die, so taking up my cross means dying to self. Okay? Dying to the flesh. Dying to what I want. Dying to what I think. Dying to what I need, dying to what I want to do, and surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Why? So when people see me, when they engage with me, they don't see me, they see Jesus. Sometimes we wait on God, and He says, That thing in your life, that thing that doesn't glorify me, that thing that doesn't reflect me, that attitude, that belief, that behavior, that thing needs to die. The last few months, I've been, I've been winning on the Lord with regards to forgiveness. It is not that I struggle to forgive, not at all. It is that no matter how many times I forgive those who has hurt me, my heart doesn't change. So I will, I will forgive somebody, earnestly. And then when I, when I speak to them again, when I, when I engage with them again, my heart, my heart just vomits. And out comes entitlement as a symptom of pride. It's not fair, Lord. It's not fair how they treated me. I deserve better. My heart vomits and out comes a need for justice. I'll forgive them, Lord. I will. But you need to sort them out. They need to get what they deserve. My heart vomits and out comes broken fellowship. Because I'll forgive, Lord. I'll be obedient, but I'll do it from a distance. Because I don't want to have anything to do with them because they'll hurt me again. I know they will. They're dangerous. So the last few months, I've been, I've been seeking to the Lord, crying out to him, saying, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. There's something desperately wrong with my heart. Change my heart. And recently, the Lord showed me that the reason why I keep going through this cycle of, of forgiveness but my heart doesn't change is because my forgiveness doesn't flow from love. And it doesn't result in love. You see, forgiveness on its own, in isolation, is not enough. It's insufficient. Our forgiveness must always flow from His love and result in us loving those whom we forgive. So practically, David. That entitlement of yours where you believe you deserve better, you need to die to that. Because if he had to deal with me based on what I deserve, I would only deserve one thing. 
death. Fortunately, the Lord does not deal with us based on what we deserve. He deals with us based on his mercy. That sense of justice, David, where you believe that I need to sort people out, you need to die to that. Why? Because love does not seek justice. Love seeks to cover a multitude of sins. And that, that isolation you got going there, that, that broken fellowship, where you forgive but you don't want to have anything to do with them, well, you have to die to that too and quickly. Because 1 John 1 says, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. So bottom line, David, forgive them. Then you actively go, you find them, and you love them. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, sometimes forgiveness may be from a distance, but then we love those whom we forgive up close and personal. Sometimes we wait on God and we have to die. And then the, the fourth one and the last one. Thank you. Alcoholism is big in my family. I have two immediate family members who are alcoholics. And um, if you don't have this type of addiction in your family, or someone close to you, that you have to live with it and deal with it on a daily basis for years, I, I cannot explain to you the destruction it brings, the devastation it causes. And the pain, the, the hurt, the anger, the resentment. Not to mention the, the black hole into which you pour your finances. Rehab after rehab after rehab. Recently, as I was meditating on John 11 in the story of Lazarus, the Lord spoke to me and he asked me a question. He asked me and he said, David, why do you no longer pray for your brother? Why do you no longer pray for your brother who's an alcoholic? You know, at first I wanted to argue. I wanted to say, no, Lord, that, that cannot be me. Surely, surely I pray for my brother. And then when I thought about it, I realized I don't. And what makes it worse, I cannot tell you when I stopped. But it's not, it's not recent. It's years and um, I, was, I was quite taken aback by the, question, by the question, so I kind of just sat there thinking, and then I said, Lord, the truth is, I no longer have hope. I no longer have hope that anything can change. After so many years of brokenness and death, I no longer have hope. I have, I've, I guess, resigned myself to the fact that He's dead. He's dead in that thing. He's dead in his addiction. He's dead. And you know, as I, said, as I sat there, the Lord replied and he, he said one thing. He said, David, I am the resurrection and the life. I can raise him from the dead. I can raise him from the dead. Yo, I had to repent for not 
for not praying for my brother, for not loving my brother, for losing hope in God, for being more in awe of the addiction than the one who delivers from addiction. More in awe of the death that it caused than the one who raises from the dead. So I'm praying for my brother again after many years. And guys, it's not, a, it's not an eloquent prayer. It's not an eloquent prayer. It is um, very short. To be, to be completely truthful or transparent here, I don't really know what to pray. But what I pray is I say, Lord Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. You are stronger than addiction. You are stronger than death. You have overcome death. Will you raise my brother from the dead? Will you raise him from the dead? Will you call him like you called Lazarus out of the grave? Will you raise him from the dead? I will wait on you, O Lord. I will wait on you for my brother. Let me just point out. Sorry, it, uh, sorry guys. I'm not really crying. I'm just pulling a John out. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's the legacy you wanted to leave, Jono, but <laughs> let me just point out, he, he, he didn't say he would raise him from the dead. He said he could. And that is good enough for me. My responsibility is to wait on him for my brother. The rest is up to him. I will wait on him. <sighs> Maybe you are here today. Maybe you've waited on the Lord for somebody for a long time. Maybe you have lost hope. There is always hope. His name is Jesus. He's the resurrection and the life. Wait on him. So sometimes we wait on God and the answer or the response comes quickly. Sometimes we wait on him and something we all dear has to die. Sometimes we wait on him and we have to die. And sometimes we wait on him for somebody else who is dead in that situation. And he wants us to believe and trust that he can raise them from the dead. So very quickly, I promise, very quick. Um, what happens in the waiting? Firstly, be on the lookout for him. Be on the lookout for him. John, John 11, 3 says, So the sister sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. You know, I, I think it's a, a completely reasonable to assume that Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus not knowing exactly where he was. They most likely heard he was last seen in this town. He was last seen in this area. But remember, there was no satellite tracking back then. There was no quick location pin drop that he could send. So they would have sent word to him, not knowing exactly where he was, and therefore not knowing exactly how long it'll take him to get back to them. So you can imagine they spent their time looking in the direction from where they thought he would come. Sweeping the floor. Can I see Jesus? Is he coming? Washing the dishes. Is, is, that, is that Jesus I'm hearing? Oh, I hope it's him. Tending to Lazarus. Is that Jesus I'm hearing? I hope he's close by. I hope he's close by. Martha and Mary sent word to him, and then they were on the lookout for him. They had a confident hope that he would come. When we wait on God, we need to have a hope and an expectation that he will reveal himself to us, that we will find him. And do you know what the best part is? Do you know, do you know what the best part is? 
In John 15, we read the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son. And we all know the story, how he disgraced his father by asking for his inheritance uh, before the father died. He went to a faraway country and he squandered everything. He ended up looking after pigs. And when he came to himself, he remembered his father. And he remembered his father's house. He remembered his father's goodness, which the Bible says leads us to repentance. And he said, I'm going to go back to my father. And then in Luke 15, 20, we read the following. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The reason why the father saw him coming from a long way off was because the father was on the lookout for him. The father was on the lookout for his son. When we wait on God, we need to be on the lookout for him. We need to have a hope and an expectation that we will find him. But at the same time, know that the Father is on the lookout for you. How amazing is that? But guys, the, the word promises us that if we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. That if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Be on the lookout for him, for he's on the lookout for you. So be on the lookout for him. Secondly, be assured of his love and compassion. John 11 verse 3, we just read, read it all. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And, and there's a few more, but I'm, I'm not going to read them. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved him dearly. And Lazarus still died. When we wait on God and death is required, something where old dear has to die or we have to die, don't let it cause you to doubt his love and compassion for you. Don't let it cause you to doubt his love and compassion. Remember, Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When we wait on God, we are assured of his love and compassion while we deny ourselves. While we take up a cross, while we die daily. So be on the lookout for him. Be assured of his love and compassion. Thirdly, be patient and full of faith. John 11 verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let me ask you a question. If you had to get a phone call right now, sitting here, and it's a hospital, a doctor telling you that a loved one of yours, a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a child, has suddenly been diagnosed with what could be a terminal illness, or they've been in an accident. They don't know how much time is left. It could be little. Come now, they say. Come now. What do you do? Do you say, um, now it's not really good for me. It's Sunday afternoon. I'll tell you what, I can be there Tuesday. Give me two days. I'll be there. No, you'll drop everything and you'll rush to get there. This scripture that says that Jesus loved Lazarus and then you waited two days longer doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to the flesh. It doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. It can only make sense in the context of faith and patience. You see, faith is never blind. It's never blind. Faith is always based on the truth. The truth of who he is and the truth of his word. Remember, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So what is the truth of his word in this instance? So glad you asked. James 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, produces patience. Patience is rooted in faith. Impatience is rooted in fear. Faith produces patience, which enables us to wait on him, to yield to his timing. Fear produces anxiety, which leads us to act when we should be waiting. And we reject, we go against his timing. Can I say it again? Patience is rooted in faith. Impatience is rooted in fear. Faith produces patience, which enables us to wait on him, to yield to his schedule, to yield to his timing. Fear produces anxiety, which leads us to act when we should be waiting, and we reject, we go against his timing. When we wait on God, we need to yield to his schedule, we need to yield to his timing, whether it makes sense or not. When we wait on God, we need to be patient and full of faith. So be on the lookout for him. Be assured of his love and compassion. Be patient and full of faith. And fourthly, and second to last, be obedient. John eleven thirty nine says, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now guys, after four days in the tomb, there was an odor which is a very diplomatic way of saying there was a stench. He, was, he, has been he had been dead four days. Now, if you're anything like me, you would wonder, how bad could it be after four days? So, I googled it. Let me warn you. Don't google something like that. I should have known better. Okay? You know, I felt like Lot being tortured by the stuff that he saw. In any case, the point is, after four days, it can be bad. Trust me. So, Martha was like, Lord, I fraud. You know, when we wait on God, he often reveals to us, there's a stench in your life. There's a stench in your life, David. It can be the stench of unforgiveness. It can be the stench of, of selfishness. It can be the stench of pride, of lust, of arrogance, of envy. And then he tells us, roll away that stone. Roll away that stone. In other words, be obedient. Roll away that stone. And that, that rolling away of the stone, that obedience can come in the form of repentance. Where we say, Lord, forgive me, I repent, so that he can wash you clean in his blood. It can come in the form of reconciliation, where he says, go and make right with your brother. And often, very often, very often, it's in the form of accountability, where he says, ask one of the leaders to help you to roll away that stone. Ooh, and when we need to be accountable, we are, we are tempted like Martha to say, but Lord, but Lord, if I do this, if I open up my heart, if I confess my sins, if I confess my struggles, if I ask someone, a leader, to sit, to sit with me and pray with me, if I open up, they will know. They will smell. There is a stench. To, what, to which the Lord would say, did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. In other words, trust and obey. You know, here's the thing. When Lazarus came out, there was no stench. There was no stench. Be obedient. Roll away that stone and allow him to wash the scent of death off you. So be on the lookout for him. Be assured of his love and compassion. 
Be patient and full of faith. Be obedient. And then lastly, come out. Come out. John eleven forty three. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Don't get stuck in your time of waiting. Don't get stuck in your time of waiting. Don't die there. You know, we all know the, the story well of how the Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt, through the desert, to the front door of the promised land, performing significant miracles along the way. But they couldn't enter in. Why? Psalm 106 verse 24 says, I'm just going to read the first part. It says, Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. Do not despise your time of waiting. Do not despise your season of waiting. Don't despise it. Don't reject it. Embrace it. Embrace it. And as you embrace it, be on the lookout for him, knowing that he's on the lookout for you. Be assured of his love and compassion for you. Yield to his timing. Be patient. Be full of faith. Be obedient. So that when he says, it is time, it is time, like Lazarus, come out. That stench of death has been washed off you. Come out. Walking in the will of God because you've laid that thing down. Come out. Reflecting more of Jesus because you've died to that thing. Come out and see the glory of God. You know, you might come out with your hands and feet still bound in linen strips. That's okay. You might come out with your head still wrapped in cloth. That's also okay. There's a... There's a family here, there's a body of believers to which the Lord would say, unbind him and let him go. In other words, you're not alone. Join family. Roll away that stone. Come out. Don't get stuck in your time of waiting. Don't get stuck. Don't die in your season of waiting. Embrace it. So be on the lookout for him. Be assured of his love and compassion for you. Be obedient and full of faith. Sorry, be patient and full of faith. Be obedient and come out. Can we just close our eyes? And can I ask the worship team to maybe come up on stage? Um, Leading up to today's word, I am... I felt the Lord wanted to minister into specific areas. And I, um, I checked in with Kevin and he felt the same. So there's some people I would like to pray for. And if anyone, the elder, anyone, any of the elders want to chip in, and, you know, by all means. You know, there's a time to wait on God. And there's a time that He wants us to wait on Him. And then there's a time to respond. Now is a time to respond. So if you feel in your heart that the Lord's, uh, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you on the topics I'll, I'll mention just now, if you feel that He has spoken to you, that He's, He's convicted to you, and you know that you know that you know He wants to shift you, He wants to change you, He wants to fine-tune you, He wants to speak to you, then respond. Please, respond. The first group I want to pray for, if you are here today and You've you waited on the Lord for a long time, or what felt like a long time, maybe years, for someone or, or for people that 
are dead in their situations. They are dead in their circumstances. They are they're dead. And you've lost hope. And you realize it today. You've lost hope. And you want the Lord to restore that hope. If that is you, can I ask you to stand? Let me pray for you. If you've lost hope, just stand. I'm going to ask believers close by or leaders, don't you just want to put your hands on them? We're not going to do anything weird. We are just going to trust that the Lord will do something. For those who are standing now, there's something that you need to understand. We'll pray for you in just a second, but losing hope, something happened. Something happened that led to it. Something shifted. Your awe has shifted from God to that thing. Your, your godly reverence, your fear has shifted from the Creator to something in the creation. It was, it's like the, the disciples on the boat, they were so afraid of the storm, they, they, they woke up Jesus and said, Lord, are you not worried that we are perishing? And then he stilled the storm. And it says, and they feared greatly. In other words, they were stricken with awe and amazement. They all shifted from the storm to the one who creates, controls, and stills the storm. So first, I want you to understand that you, you have shifted your all. And we need to pray that your all be shifted back. So right now, between you and God, don't you just want to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Well, I've been so in awe of this, this addiction, this situation, this circumstance, whatever it is, that I've shifted my fear towards that thing away from you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Will you just stir a fear of the Lord, an awe for you in my heart? Help, because you are greater. You are the resurrection and the life. You are greater than that, than that thing. Folks, we need to be in awe of Him. We need to be in awe of Him. We need to be in awe of Him. So Father, I pray right now that you will restore hope. That you will come and you will restore hope, Lord Jesus. That you will restore hope. That you will burn in their hearts, Lord. And that the hope is rooted in how magnificent, how wondrous, how mighty you are. Our hope can be built, can be placed upon one thing alone. And that is Jesus. Oh Lord, will you restore hope here today? Will you shift our awe, our reverence, our fear back to you? Let us be stricken with awe and amazement for you. Lord Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. I pray for these people that these family members are waiting for. They are waiting on you, Lord Jesus. You are the resurrection in the life. You are greater than death. You've overcome death. I pray as they are waiting on you that you will raise these people from the dead. That you will raise them from the dead. That you will call them forth like Lazarus. That you will raise them from the dead. Lord, help us to wait on you for as long as it takes. We call them forth in the name of Jesus. Rise. I'm going to move on to the second group, but I, I'm going to ask those who are ministering now, please continue. Please continue. So the second group of people I would like to pray for, 
is if you are sitting here today and you were convicted because you know the Lord has asked you to lay something down. The Lord has asked you to die to something or something your old dear has to be has to die, it has to be laid down and you have not been obedient. I want to pray for you. If you are here and you've not been obedient, you've not listened and you know you need to lay something down, don't you want to stand please? There's nothing to be afraid of. Just stand please. Thank you. Just stand. Again, I want to ask if there are believers close by to those who are standing now, just please stand with them. To those who are standing now, group two, you need to know something that delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. So the first thing I want to ask you is just, just make right with God. Repent. Ask Him to forgive you because He will. He will wash you clean with His blood and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just make right with God. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to forgive you. Lord Jesus, I pray for for those who are standing who know, they know that you've asked them to lay something down and they haven't. Lord, I pray and I thank you that your grace is sufficient for them. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for them, that your strength is made perfect in weakness. We, I thank you that your commands are not burdensome. I thank you for your grace, for your enablement, for them to not leave you without laying that thing down. So right now, I ask you, if that is you, surrender that thing unto the Lord. Surrender it unto Him. So Lord, I give it up. I give it to you. I will be obedient. I might not understand, but I know that your plans are better than mine. I surrender it, Lord. I surrender. If that is you, I also I want to leave you with a challenge. Do not leave here today without speaking to one of the leaders. The fact that you've delayed doing this means that you're struggling. So speak to one of the leaders and, and let them help you roll away that stone. I want to challenge you, don't leave here without speaking to one of the leaders. And if, you, if you're not in a com, come to the front. There'll be people here that can pray with you. The last group that I would pray for is pretty much all of us. And what I want to say is the following. Waiting on God for those who are dead are not meant for a chosen few. It's not meant for a handful of people. I believe the Lord wants all of us to seek Him, to wait on Him for those who are dead in their sin, dead in their addictions, dead in their circumstances. So I want to ask all of us right here, right now, open your heart and I ask Holy Spirit come and reveal to us who are those that we might not realize that you want us to wait on you for but I do want to caution you don't take this lightly don't take it lightly if he shows you somebody now then know it comes with 
a cost. It comes with a commitment that you will wait on Him for that person for as long as is, ne- as is required. So Holy Spirit, will you reveal to us, will you speak to our hearts the prodigals you want us to wait on, those who are dead in their sin, those who are dead in their addictions, whoever they are, show them to us, Lord. And I pray for your grace that we will wait on you for them. For you are the resurrection and the life. You can raise them from the dead. 